Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So, I changed the title of the talk uh, tonight. I, we're doing this kingdom stuff, and I was going to call it Kingdom Money, and then I thought, well, nobody will want to listen to that. So, uh, I changed the title to something else, which you might be interested in, which is How to Be Rich. <laughs> um, so, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that as we look at it together and spend this time together, you would help us to be able to learn um, what it is to be rich as you see it and how we can um, we can learn together this important topic that everybody it will affect us for the whole of our lives and forever so Lord help us to be able to um, receive your truth and apply it in the ways that um, make sense and are right for us in our present situation today Amen so uh, how to be rich 1 Timothy chapter 6 um, in the New Testament actually tells us uh, God's perspective on that and uh, it says my job effectively in terms of how to speak about money it says no, you know you might don't be apologetic about it don't be if it's okay with you I'm going to talk about money tonight it actually starts off in fact he says it twice command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, again there's that word, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Who can afford to be rich in good deeds? Everybody. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves. Notice that. Laying up treasure for themselves. There's an appeal to enlightened self-interest there. As a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So who's rich in this present world? Obviously, this person is. According to um, the, the week's news, Chris Evans, I always wondered why he was so chirpy every morning. I kind of figure for two and a half million pounds a year, I could probably be quite chirpy too. So uh, that's all right. But then, the thing is, I look at him and I think, obviously, he's rich. But that's because we compare up. And uh, according to the Time is Rich list, he has a net worth of 57 million pounds. So I think, well, yeah, he's, he's well rich. But then, how do you think poor Chris Evans feels if he compares himself to Bill Gates, who's Net worth is over 66 billion pounds. Poor Chris Evans. I know, that's, I know that's what you're thinking. But how about if instead of comparing up, we compare down? We don't usually tend to do that. Um, and I know that there's a high spread of income and various people have different um, opportunities and, and uh, uh, you know, things going on in their financial life as, as in every other areas. But if you were to put your total income, whatever it is, into a website called globalrichlist.com, I, I find that's an eye-opener. Anybody can do this. You basically put in whatever income looks like for you, put it into this, 
And the average UK salary right now is £21,000 a year. Again, you might be on more than that, you might be on less than that. That's why it's called an average. If that's you and you put yourself in at £21,000, you're in the top 1.65% richest people in the world by income. It's like you already won the lottery. And I go to Haiti again in January and uh, thankfully I always come back from there. I always have done so far. Um, but whenever I go, it's a real eye-opener. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And if I, if I lived there, I'd die 18 years sooner, statistically, than living here. I would make 90% less money. I would be 10 times more likely to be murdered. And I would have 98% less access to health care if anything went wrong. So that verse that we started off with, where it says, God has richly provided for me, starts to make sense. Every year, the Office for National Statistics drill down into the weekly spending habits of households in the UK. And if we multiply the weekly by 52, then we can see how much Britons typically spend, on average, per year on taxes, holidays, food and drink, housing, transport. They're the biggies. If you look across a lifetime, the average UK worker will spend £90,000 on lunches at work. This is across their life. £60,000 on takeaways. Women spend £18,000 on facial products and makeup. £80,000 on clothes. Where men will spend, on average, 34000 on clothes. If you drink, the average drinker will spend £50,000 on booze in their life. If you get a cat or a dog, a cat or a dog will cost you about £10,000 over the course of its life on average, which is cheap compared to raising a child, <laughs> which, if they go through university too, will average out at £225,000 per child across the course of their life. Andy Smith just went... <laughs> <at the back. laughs> so... The question then is, where does God fit in the pie chart? How much, for us, does God get out of my money? How are you handling the riches, whatever it looks like, that God is giving to you? Going back to that scriptural command again, putting that passage back up again. Are you doing good with it? Are you rich in good deeds? Are you generous and willing to share? And again, some people are thinking, well, I would be if I had more. That's what the problem is. I haven't got enough to be able to do that. If I had more, then obviously I would do more. But I haven't, so I can't. Which would make you think then, obviously, the more people have, the more people give. Charities Aid Foundation studies show only two out of five people give any money to charity on a monthly basis in this country. 
Now, some people might give something in the year, but I'm talking about a monthly amount. The average monthly amount, this is not Christians, this is just generally people. The average monthly amount that people give, if they give, averages out at £14 a month. Women give more than men. Older people give more than younger people. And you might think, well, obviously, those who have more will give more. You'd think that was a reasonable thing, wouldn't you? Yeah, some response is good. People are looking stunned here tonight, yeah? Look at this chart, and you'll see that what they give as a proportion on income does, not, it does indicate... That you'd think that the more you get, the more you give. It's actually adversely proportionate. The poorest people give up to 4% of income. Whereas those on 100,000 give about 1%. You'd think there's something wrong with that picture. And, and actually the figures are skewed somewhat because that does include lottery. In case you were wondering. So they're saying that as some people say, doing the lottery is giving. I would dispute that. Now, it's a better figure for Christians. <sighs> oh, yeah. Only just. The average Church of England member, because they're the ones who keep the figures on it, gives 3.3% of their income to the church and just less than 3% on average to other stuff too, which makes them quite a lot more generous than non-church goers. Yeah? In evangelical churches like Ivy, the, the figures are slightly higher than that. But usually that's because, to be honest, a relatively small group of less than about 20% usually actually regularly give. And from that, some of them actually do something called tithing, which means they look at their pie chart and they give about 10%. And from that 10%, some of them actually give 10% to the church and then to other stuff. That's, personally speaking, where I've worked to over the years. That's what I've kind of got to, to be able to go 10% to my local church that was before I ever came here I've always done that for a long long time and then subsequently to try and grow out the other bit of the pie chart and I won't tell you how much that is but I, I've got goals to be generous people have goals for pension people have goals for all kinds of stuff I'm, I'm trying to set goals in my life for generosity and to be honest with you like anything else financially it never just happens you have to have a, you have to have a goal you have to have a plan you have to do without in order to be able to do that. And the Bible does talk about money, so it's okay to, I think. In fact, the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why? Number one, because money shows what I love the most. The wallet is a window of the soul. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my brother, unfortunately, is a Manchester City season ticket holder. And so are his sons. And he has been for years. And he pays 
quite a bit of money to that. Do you think he knows the fixtures? Do you think he knows who they're playing when they're playing? Absolutely. His son was in Australia for a while. He stayed up to like three o'clock in the morning to watch a match. Because, why? He's invested. He's not just interested. He's invested. That shows that he cares. When we look at a budget, when we look at a bank statement, we can see where our heart is. So what percentage of our money is going on earthly things and what percentage is going on heavenly things? You can work it out. I could look at your bank statement and we could work that out. We wouldn't have to guess. In a monetary sense. Now I know there's all kinds of other ways and we can talk about that. People give their time and all that kind of stuff. That's very good when people do that. But Jesus did talk about money and so I think we can talk about money too. And our spending, according to Jesus, he didn't talk about unless you don't want to give and you want to give in other ways. He didn't say that. He didn't give us that as an option. Our spending or our saving or our giving are all good indicators of where our heart is invested. And we spend and we save and we use and we put our money towards the things that matter to us. And the difficult thing for us is this. Once we find out you're going to be a Christian... God wants to be number one. He's not content with any other place in our lives. He's not, he says, actually, anything else that we might put in place as number one, that's called an idol. And he doesn't like idols. It's a worship question. Number two, money shows what I really trust what I trust the most. So you come to church and somebody talks about money or giving or even tithing, giving 10% back to, you know, whatever. And, and it can feel uncomfortable. And you're thinking, well, how can I give a percentage or whatever it is to God? And, and I can't do that. I don't know how I can do that. And actually, to be honest with you, we could discuss tithing and percentages, but that's not the point. Because actually, God's more interested in 100% than any other percentage because that's how much he gave us. He gave us 100%. So how much, it's no good me going to my boss and saying I've been faithful with 10% of the money that he gave me to look after. That's called go to jail. <laughs> if I've just been faithful with 10%. He wants me to be faithful with all of it and to act with integrity with all of it. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the same standard common among those with the same income as our own, so that's not comparing with other people, that's comparing with people who've got the same as you, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our giving excludes them. It's a trust issue. God wants to, us to show that whether or not we actually trust him. And that's because to live like that can feel like a leap of faith. It's uncomfortable, but actually that's meant to be like that because it shows that we're not putting our trust in wealth, as that passage started off talking about, but our trust is in God. Number three, money shows if God can trust me. 
God isn't really interested in money. And all this talk about money is not because God wants something from us. It's because God wants something for us. And this is a stunning quotation from John Wesley, who obviously founded Methodism and was an incredible guy. Many people believe, you know, his preaching and his life and, you know, changed the course of history in this nation. And how much do you think God would use somebody when they got this as their lifestyle and their mindset and their thinking about money in particular? John Wesley said, it's not how much of my money will I give to God? But how much of God's money will I keep for myself? You see how different that is? See what, see what a difference that is in terms of a mindset? It's not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself? What would that pie chart look like? In 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he'd have more money to give to kingdom projects. He records that one year his income was £30 and his living expenses £28, so he had £2 to give away. The next year his income doubled, but he still managed to live on £28, so he had £32 to give. It went up and up over the years as his ministry increased. Finally, his income was over £1,400, but he lived on £30 and gave just around £1,400. Because what he was interested in, he said, as a Christian, we shouldn't just be interested in raising my standard of living, but I should be focusing on my standard of giving. Because he believed, what I believe the Bible teaches is that money is a test and a trial and a tool it's a test, a trial, and a tool. God tests our hearts with money. Both ways. Whether you've got lots of it or you've hardly got any of it, it can be a test of our hearts. What do you think Wesley's heart would have looked like to God? Would that have been a faithful heart? I think so. It's a test. God's looking to test us in terms of whether we're stewards of it. It's a trial because if you want to expose a person's real character, either give them hardly any money or give them loads of money. And you'll be able to see. If they get, if they get threatened by not having much or if they get proud and self-sufficient by having a lot. Wealth can be a blessing or a curse because it's not really the money that's the problem and it's not the answer either. It's the attitude that counts. The youngest Euro Millions winner, I read about this woman last year, Jane Park, she said winning a million at 17 was the worst thing that ever happened to her. She said the relentless consumption did not give her the happiness that she and everybody else expected it would. She said, I have material things, but my life is empty. Money is a test, money is a trial, and money is a tool. It can be used for good or for evil. So to illustrate, imagine there's money in this envelope. You'll have to imagine because there really isn't. How much money is in the envelope? thousand pounds okay uh, Marie can I that's Marie has 
has worked hard for a thousand pounds. She's got a thousand pounds, yeah? And so she decides she's going to take it to the bank of, sorry, what's your name? Bank of Andy. So she goes and takes the money and puts it in the bank of Andy. And Andy's in charge of the bank, thank you very much. And uh, he receives it because his job is to be the manager of the bank, yeah? And then a couple of weeks go by, a couple of months go by. And then Marie thinks, actually, I could do with some of my money out. So she goes to the bank of Andy and she wants to fill out a slip and to go and get some. But as she's going to go there, suddenly she has to stop at the door and they, they sit her down. And they say, just wait a minute because Andy will be with you in a minute. And then Andy looks a bit embarrassed when Marie gets brought into the room. And he's like, oh, it's you. Yes, it's me. Oh, I didn't really expect you just quite now. Oh, and why is that? Well, because you, you put the money in and while you put the money in, um, I needed some new shoes. I've only got 12 pairs. And, uh, and my wife wanted to go on a holiday of a lifetime, so I took her for a weekend to Blackpool. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and, so, and I wanted to treat her. And so I, I, you know, used that. How do you feel about that, Marie? He's saying sorry. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, if it was me, that's fighting talk where I come from. Because I'd be like, what do you mean? You can't just go off and go to the Vegas of the North with your wife on, on my money and enjoy yourself in wanton living and all that kind of stuff. Because it's my money. I gave you my money and I expected you to look after my money. You're meant to be managing my money. But actually, a bit of a promotion time here. In, the, the, the truth is, um, Marie gets a promotion here because the way the Bible sees it is that's like God. And He gives us all of everything that we've got, and He does so expecting that we'll manage it for Him, all of it, and use it in ways that honour him and that he would want it to be used for. Not some of it, not a portion of it, not even a percentage of it, except 100% of it. That's how much he's interested in. And so it's like he's entrusted us with his stuff to be like, the closest word to steward I can think of in the Bible is like asset managers. That's the job. So then... God comes and God speaks to Andy and says, there's, there's a child in Haiti who's potentially going to die. But Compassion are going to uh, offer sponsorship. And if somebody was to sponsor this child, then she'll be saved in every way it's possible to be saved. And her family are going to have the whole course of their life changed from now on. And everything's going to be different because of, of this. And I want you to have the, the honour and the joy of being the person who gets to do that. And as well as that, you're also going to get like um, letters back from them and lovely colourings in of giraffes or whatever. Yeah? 
But just, I'm looking for somebody and it's you that I'd like to be able to do that. But then we say, yeah, but sorry God, but I just bought a new computer and I just signed up to Netflix and uh, Sky Sports and whatever. I haven't got any money. And God's like, well, did you talk to me about Sky Sports? No. Well, whose money is it? That's the question. Whose money is it? This is the mindset change. Can you imagine if we got this? See, I think this is a huge thing for the church in terms of stewardship and finances and discipleship. We're supposed to be managers. This is how the kingdom works. And I know it's different than the world and the way that the world sees money. But this is part of why we have to teach upon it in the church. Because we're stewards and it's there in so many of the parables. Once you see it, it's very difficult to unsee it. As you look through scripture, you see it all over the place. You know, that God entrusts talents to people and he holds them responsible. Whether they got five, whether they got two, whether they get one, we end up being held accountable for those things. And that isn't just about talents like, oh, I can play the guitar or I can crochet. It's talent in those days meant money. People hearing it wouldn't have thought, oh, you're on about whether or not a person can sing. No, talent meant money. That's what Jesus was talking about. And yeah, it includes the other stuff too. But the, see, the good news is with this, God is a great master and he wants us to enjoy all things richly. He, he likes it. He, he wants me to be able to take care of my family. He wants me to be able to have some nice things. He's not against nice things. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good, deeds, good, good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? So it's like, it's okay for you to use lots of that percent for all kinds of stuff too. It's not stingy. But the mindset change we have to take is to be able to think, it's not mine. We have to manage the money like it's not ours. Why? Because it's not ours. And with that in mind, it's at this point, I thought what we would do is take up an offering. And the reason is, it's not because the church needs money. See, we teach on money sometimes here, not because the church needs money. Actually, the church is doing okay. Ivy's a generous church that's doing some fantastic stuff because a whole bunch of people already get this and are regularly giving and all that kind of stuff. So they're already doing that. So this isn't a man recruitment drive or a guilt trip. But sometimes in terms of when we talk about money afterwards, if we'd done the offering before, now I talked about it, you might be th sitting there thinking, oh, now I feel really bad because I let the bucket pass me by and I didn't even put my pound in or whatever it is. <laughs> Whereas... This is like a, you can give if you want. You don't have to give if you don't want. It's all good. We're going to worship and we're going to take up the offering as we do that. So the band are going to come up and lead us. And I'm not done yet. So you can leave if you want, but I'll notice. <laughs> and I'm taking names. And we're going to finish with something that I think uh, is, is actually, it continues to be good news. It's good news. So... Um, we take up the offering. There's all kinds of different ways that we can give. Randy's going to put up the thing. If it's best if you fill in an envelope, especially if you are a, uh, a taxpayer and um, 
that's not a picture of what we wanted. But there's, um, if, you, if you can fill in the envelope, that really helps if you're a taxpayer. Also, even if you're not, just to be able to identify your gift. The reason, even if you don't pay tax, put it in an envelope. Do you know why? I like to say thank you to people. I like to write to you and say, thanks for giving, thanks for partnering. We can identify that people are with us as a church because they are identifiable regular givers, whether or not yet you're in a position to pay, to, to, to pay tax. And whether comparatively you give little or less isn't the issue because we don't know what people are getting you know, that's not what we go into anybody's details at all. But, but to be able to have some people who we know can stand with us and regularly give makes a massive difference to us. So everybody who already does that, we're so grateful. And you can do it online, like it says. You can go um, on the, on the uh, IV Church forward slash, ivychurch.org forward slash donate enables you to be able to do this really simply from a website, from your phone, if you can get signal in here or do it later. So Lord, thank you for all you give us thank you for all the pie that belongs to you and Lord as we uh, just take some time now to worship and honour you I pray that you'd help us to um, begin to get this mind shift I need it I'm speaking so much to myself here I need to see myself more and more increasingly as a steward of so many good things that you've given to me to be grateful and then from that grateful heart to be increasingly generous help me to check in with you in terms of my spending and my giving and my living and uh, and to increasingly I can't do anything about yesterday I can't do anything about last week and last month but I can I can respond to you today and uh, help me to do that so as um, as the band leaders we're going to take the opportunity and do it worshipfully as we're giving the money do it with grateful heart just say thank you to God and give what, whatever he prompts you to thank you so it's a it's a mental spiritual shift to see it's not my money it's God's money and I'm a manager. I appreciate it's a difficult thing for us to get hold of. Even though we might agree with it biblically, it's difficult for them to me to actually see it. Be practically. In, in, uh, you know, in terms of ownership and management. And again, some of us have less and some of us have more. But I don't really think I know anybody who wouldn't be challenged by this shift of thinking it actually turns most people's ideas of living and giving and spending completely on their head and you might not like hearing this idea that you're a steward and uh, um, you're not an owner because there's something inside of us that says look even if I do agree with it in principle in practice if I'm honest it really is my money because um, it, I worked for it I earned it, I got it, I deserve it. So if that's you, I completely understand the feeling. I wrestle with it myself and we're not the first people to, even to raise that as an objection. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is from when um, the, the, the people of Israel were moving out of 
Egypt and they were going in towards the promised land. And, and Moses is speaking to them about a transition that he wants them to be able to make as a people to move from one place to another to be able to move into the promised land that God's got for them. And he recognises that there's a move here from a slavery mindset actually into a sonship mindset. There's a move, there's a move from, from um, a day-to-day God's got to provide to a, a, a place of abundance that's going to take place. So here's what he says to them. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. God's saying this. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. You see this stuff about a test. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. So both the, the need and the provision part of the test and the trial which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son so the Lord your God disciplines you so there's something going on here about seeing yourself as being part of a family Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you'll like nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. You know what Jesus said? It's impossible to serve two masters. He said you're going to love the one and hate the other or the other way around. And then he says you can't love both God and money. And in this, God is trying to take them out of a place where they're just thinking about the money on a day-to-day basis and they're thinking about him and their love has moved. And he's describing how God has, has been with this wandering nation, how they've been coming out of slavery and going towards the promised land. And he says, just remember, God's provided so much for you every day. Every morning you'd wake up and there'd be the manna and then there'd be the quail and when you needed water it came out of a rock and God's protected them in battles and he's blessed them and he's led them and he's fed them and, and he's he done it all the time, he's been so faithful because he wanted them to learn he's trustworthy and they can trust him with provision but he also wants to get them out of this daily thinking in a sense into future thinking because what the people who look at economics tell me is this, that, that actually... Wealthy people don't tend to think day to day. Um, you might think, well, that's because they don't have to. But actually, part of the reason perhaps why they're so wealthy is because they get to a point where they think about inheritance. They get to a point of passing it on to another generation. Whereas at, way down at this end, if you like, you've got people living hand to mouth and way down even further than that, you've got a drug addict just thinking about where's my next fix coming from. And there's a shift that has to happen where we start to think longer term. This is why any financial advisor is going to ask you to be thinking about long term, not just short term. And God wants to that, us to do that too, because it's wise. And so even though God provided for them all that way, you know what they did? They griped and they complained and they didn't see the miracles. And uh, you know that was the way people were back then. Aren't we glad that we're not like that these days? But then in verse 10 he says, When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. For who? For me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That warning has to ring true for us tonight, just as it did for them. Look at verse 10. When you're satisfied, when you're content, when you're fulfilled, what should our first reaction be? Thank you, God. To praise God for the provision. Do we do that or do we forget? Who do we thank? Do we thank the boss? Do we thank ourselves? Do we thank God? That should be first. When we check the balance, whatever's in it, do we thank God? Look at verses 11 to 14 because this is how we get into real trouble with money. Here's what I've noticed. It isn't so much when we haven't got money that we don't want God involved. You know, we've talked to people involved. We, have some, we help people with cap, with um, you know, debt counselling, all this kind of stuff. People in a mess financially want God all over their finances. They're really happy for God to now come and take complete control of every messed up bit of my finances, please, and do it right now. But then, when it's not so pear-shaped, we can end up forgetting. And we can go, oh, it's all right now, because the pain's gone. And that sense of everything's okay can lead to a sense of satisfaction and then self-sufficiency and actually lead us away from God and God knows that and that's why he says this when we get promoted when you get a bonus when your income goes up you can start thinking hey I'm pretty good I'm doing okay I've done all right for myself verse 14 solemn warning if we keep our eyes on our acquisitions and our awards and our achievements and our accomplishments our hearts become proud Verse 15 and 16 just hammers this truth home. It's God who did it. It's God who gave the provision. It's God who did the miracles. It's God who did it for you. He led you. He fed you. And if we're honest, how often have we said a version of what 17 says? Verse 17 says, isn't this what we think in our moments of triumph, if we're honest? My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth. And then the next bit is for me because it's mine and maybe we didn't use those exact words but it was like how clever I am the gifts I've been given the gifts I've used the hard work that I've done has produced this money what's the antidote to that kind of thinking the next verse tells us remember the Lord because he's the one who gives us the ability to produce wealth in the first place. At the opening of the passage, we're warned not to forget because forgetting is like a passive act. It's saying, don't forget. But then we're actively told at the end to remember, do some things that will remind you. I don't know what that means for you, but maybe I was thinking that what I'm going to do on the day I get paid, I'm going to put a note in my diary to say, thank God and to pray and thank God for my income on the day that I get it. Just as a little discipline to remember it came from him because forgetting is easy. Remembering takes discipline. Remembering needs to be active. And I, otherwise, I know what I'm like. I tend to forget I'm a steward and that God owns it all. 
In fact, we put that up. Could you say that with me? Next one. Would you say that? If you, if you believe it. I'm a steward. God owns it all. See, God gives us all our abilities, all our resources. God gives us our skills and our strength and our talents. God gives us ideas and opportunities to earn money. God gives us bodies and strength and energy to work. God gives whoever employs us the money to pay us. God gives us our homes. God gives us our jobs. God gives us our families and our business partners and our creativity and our ingenuity and our initiative. God gives it all. He's, he's behind the scenes and sometimes we see it up front. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, says in Psalm 24. That isn't David being cool, saying in it. (laughs) He's saying everything in the world. God owns it all. I am a steward. And he's given me some to manage for a time, for now. See, we have a sign outside here. Uh, sometimes it's here, sometimes it's out in the prayer tent at the moment. Expect a miracle. Because we have expectations of miracles here in this church. Who believes God wants to perform miracles? I believe he does. Who believes God wants to perform miracles in your life? Who believes God wants to perform financial miracles? Who believes God wants to perform financial miracles in your life? <laughs> I believe God wants to perform financial miracles. And you might think, well, he'd need a lot of money to do that. He didn't need a lot to do a lot. You think about that time when there was thousands of people needed feeding on a hill somewhere. And Jesus, it says, was testing them. And he said, what are we going to do, boys? And I think it was Andrew who says, well, we could nick this lad's fish butties. That's not in the Greek. <laughs> but it's like, there's some little lad here got something and he gives it, and there's not just enough, there's more than enough. There's leftovers, 12 basketfuls of leftovers. So the next bit is this, I am a steward, God owns it all, there's more than enough. Can we say that? I am a steward, God owns it all. There's more than enough. I think I limit God so often. I get worried. I'm just being honest. Even in the week, we're doing this conference in October called Launch, and something came in. There's a a potential for a bill that's a lot more than we thought it was going to be. And I got worried. I was like, oh, are we going to pay for that? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I realized as I started later on, I I allowed myself a whole night of worrying because we can do that. I know it's ridiculous. I woke up in the morning. I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's God's idea. God's, God's going to provide for this. I'm, you know, he's, he's got, I'm a steward, God owns it all. There's more than enough. He's going to work it out. I'm interested to see how God will work it out. Because he can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And I believe there'll be leftovers. I think there will. Because that's how he operates. He's, El Shaddai. You've heard that, haven't you, of God? Do you know what he means? The God of more than enough. That's literally what it means. The God of abundance. 48 times God gets called that in the Bible. One time he's speaking with Abraham and he takes him outside. He says, count the stars. Why is he doing that? So that he'll be able to not, he'll be able to run out. It's thousands, isn't it? You can see thousands of stars with a naked eye. But how many stars are there really? Absolutely. 
there's, there's, he could only see what he could see, but God could see beyond that. The abundance of provision. God wants us to be able to see that even what we think we can see of abundance, God can see way more than that. And if we start operating with that mindset, things start to change. And when we pray, we're told to pray that the kingdom of God would come as it is in heaven, so here on the earth, aren't we? So the heavens is a place of abundance. And when we pray, we can pray with that expectation of abundance. And as well as being an unbelievable source, who are we meant to pray for when we pray that prayer? Who do we pray to? Our Father. Our Father. So this isn't just a force of provision. This isn't actually just the bank manager and that kind of relationship. He's our Father. Let's put the last one on. I think this is how we, this is how I can start to get to a position of being a steward and seeing that he's, he's the owner, he's the boss, but he's not just the boss. He's my dad. And he's got more than enough. And he's really generous. And he's absolutely good. And I can trust him. And he's going to be okay. What, what's going to be okay? Everything's going to be okay. If I trust him. Could you say that? Let's say it together. I'm a steward. God owns it all. There's more than enough. He's my father. He's my father. The God of too much is also my father. The more I get that revelation in my heart, everything starts to change. So, would you stand and we're going to pray. What if it's true that everything that we've ever had, everything, everything that's ever been given us in our life that's been good, as the Bible says it comes down from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him, the Father of lights. And so what if this week we just made a decision that every decision that pertains to finances, we did it with this in mind. And actually we said to God, what do you want me to do? What, what a daring adventure life would be if we asked that question more and more. To say to God, actually I'm not the owner, I'm the manager, what do you want me to do? If we did that, I think it would really change the world around us. So um, look at the words, and if it helps you, just, just pray that. As you stand there, just talk to God about those things. Which is the one that you might struggle with most? Because they all kind of flow on, they all link together. He's your father. He's got more than enough. He owns it all. So you're a steward. That's really positive, isn't it? It's like having a dad who's, who's just got it. He's got it. And you can ask and he likes it. And he'll provide because he loves you. He's my father. There's more than enough. God owns it all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you I get to be a steward. Thank you I get the fun of being used by you in this life to make a difference. Help me, Lord, 
with all that I have and all that I am to honour you more and more. Lord, forgive me. <sighs> times when my standard of living has just been the same as everybody else around me because my heart has been captivated by the same as everybody else. Lord, captivate my heart more for you and for your kingdom so that increasingly in my life I live with heaven's perspective and let your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.